Thank you so much, Ms. Karen. I'm so grateful for you and for the way you've read that this morning. It's John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26 are where we are today, and I'm so thankful that we get to do this together today. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so proud of Misael Gonzalez. If you've not had an opportunity to meet Misael yet, I hope that you do. Misael is also one of our teaching pastors, and this morning, he has the privilege of being able to preach at the Owasso campus today. And so we just continue to cast that vision for the idea that God has called us as the people of God in this place to do ministry in multiple locations and also in multiple languages. And so he's kind of spreading that message everywhere. And we're, uh, w- one of the things that we do that I love is that we always preach from the same passage. So on the Owasso campus this morning, they're preaching from John chapter one verses, or excuse me, John chapter four verses one through 26. And that's what we're, we're looking at today. And so I hope you'll keep your Bibles open to that passage. We'll refer back to it several times. And, and um, I'm, I'm guilty of being one of those preachers who will often stand up and say, you know, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. <laughs> and um, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I'm always reminded that Scripture is like an onion. And you have to peel back the different layers because there's so many different things that it says time and time again. And every time I say Scripture is like an onion, I'm reminded of that scene in the movie Shrek where he says, ogres are like onions. And then Donkey says, why don't you say it's like a parfait? Everybody likes a good parfait. So maybe I should say scripture's like a good parfait, right? There's different layers to it. And today, we're not going to have the possibility of digging into all of the layers of this passage that I love so much. And I got to tell you that that's okay. Because isn't that just the way a good meal works, right? You don't try to eat everything all the time. Uh, Last night, Londa and I got to celebrate part of our 25th wedding anniversary, and we went to uh, Texas de Brazil, which is a Brazilian steakhouse. And I went into a meat coma because there's just so many different kinds of meat to eat there, and it's awesome. It's incredible, but it would be really unhealthy for me to do that all of the time. And then specifically with Scripture, there are these moments where on Sunday, if the only time I ate was my anniversary meal, then I'd, I'd be unhealthy again too, right? If I only ate once a week or if I only ate once every 25 years, that would be kind of strange. And so my hope is that you'll take the time to peel back the layers of Scripture on your own. That as we look at this passage of Scripture today, that you'll hear the words that I say, and everything that I say will come out of this passage of Scripture today. But at the same time, I just want to tell you that there's so much more to this story than what we'll have time to talk about today. So I hope that you'll leave from here, and you'll be intrigued by what I just said, and you'll take time on your own sometime this week to read and possibly even reread John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, to find just the depth and the goodness and the graciousness of God's word given to us. I hope that you'll do that. There's something else that I hope, and I hope that you'll realize that we've been in this unusual season of COVID, and next Sunday morning, August the 16th, is an exciting time because we get to start our groups on campus and face-to-face back here, uh, here at Calvary. And so from, uh, really from, from birth uh, through senior adults, every, everybody will have a space at 9.30 who wants to attend uh, groups on, on campus next Sunday. So I hope you'll spread the word with us about that, and I hope that you'll be involved in that. Really, groups for us is the place where we take God's word, and we don't just investigate it like we do here in a worship service. We actually ask the question, how can we get this to apply to our everyday lives? What how do I work this out with my friends? How do I work this out with my family? What is this? We know what it means. Now, how do I actually live it? And so I hope you'll do that. And if you're not involved in a group, I hope you'll find one that's right for you. We'll also, for those people 
who are still concerned about COVID continue to provide groups online for them as well and services online. And so I'm grateful that, uh, that you've been the people who have come to meet face-to-face. It's such a great way to be engaged. And then on August the 23rd, August the 23rd, we'll have a special service really just here at the Calvary campus. On, uh, at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a day focused on vision. And we're really doing that at every campus, but we'll have a unique expression of it here on the Calvary campus. And we hope to do something after the service on August 23rd that, that I hope involves food, that we would eat together and just spend some time getting to spend some time together and, and answering some questions and things. So a vision day on August 23rd, followed by, uh, followed by lunch. And so I uh, hope you'll be making plans now to attend that. That'll be a great thing. The other thing that you'll see inside this passage of Scripture, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, and it's the direction that we'll be taking today is that we've been in a series called The Gospel Adventure. Now, all year long, we've talked about this idea of the gospel adventure, that we would be the people that are aggressive at sharing the good news that Jesus Christ came and lived a spotless life, and, and, and he, he made the way for our salvation. He made a way for us to be forgiven. He died on the cross, and he took our place for the, the punishment and the penalty for our sin. He took our place on the cross at Calvary, and then he rose from the dead to just really prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he really was the Son of God who was capable and qualified of redeeming you and me from our sin, of forgiving us and making a way for us. We've been talking about how we need to be the carriers of that gospel message. We've been talking about it all year long, and in this series, we've been talking about it in a very focused time. There's a verse of Scripture that we've used all year long. We're trying to memorize Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And I hope if, you've, if you haven't gotten that memorized yet, that you'll write that down. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 8, 38. And that you'll try to memorize that with me. Or more than that, that you'll try to internalize it. Not just where you know it with your head, but it's so much a part of you that it becomes kind of a knee-jerk reaction to who you are. And verse 36 is one of those verses that just really challenges me. It says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so I'm always amazed at the fact that of all the ways that God could have possibly have chosen to share his love and his good news with the world, he chose you and me to do that. I'm just amazed by that. And so what we'll see, the layer that we'll peel back today in John chapter 4 verses 1 through 26 is a layer that's specifically focused on what it means for us to be the people who are sharing the gospel as we go, who share the gospel with people everywhere we go. And I know for some of us, we're believers, and we've heard this story quite a bit, and we've been challenged with this idea of sharing the gospel. And then for others of us, you may have come into this place today by invitation. Maybe a friend or a family member has brought you here today, and and you're not really sure what to do with this whole church thing, and you're not really bought into organized religion yet, and you're not sure about Scripture or who Jesus is. And I just want to say I'm so thankful that you came today. And, and I, I'm thankful because I believe something that you'll hear today with all my heart. I, be, I really do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I really do believe that he is the sinless son of God. I really do believe that all of these things that we'll discuss today, I think they happened. And I think as we listen, as you listen, it, I think you'll begin to hear things that you go, you know, that has the ring of truth to it. I may not buy into everything yet, but, but that has the ring of truth to it. And so if you're going to come ask questions about faith, what a brilliant place. Place to come, but a place like this, where you're surrounded by people who have been investigating these answers 
Some of us for our entire lives, and some of us are new to this thing as well. And so let's figure this out together. Let's listen together and, and see if we can't find those moments that we go, wow, that has the ring of truth. How does that, how does that apply to my life? And so we get to do all of these things together in the context of church face-to-face. We get to do all of these things together in the context of sharing the gospel. And you know, uh, growing up, I'm, I'm one of those people that grew up in church. Um, you've heard me say it before that my parents, um, I, I like to tease them, they were married on, uh, I was born on December 26th and they were married on December 30th. Um, I always leave out that it was a year apart, so they really did get married before I was born, but I like to tease my mom. But it feels sometimes like I was born on a pew because they joined the church that I grew up in the year before I was born. And, and so I just have been blessed by a family that is a family of faith. And your story may not be like that. You may be a totally different story than that, but that's okay. There's room in God's, in God's big picture for every kind of story. But one of the things I experienced in the life of the church that I attended as a teenager is I had the opportunity to go on mission trips as a teenager. Really, it started when I was in the fourth grade. I started going on mission trips when I was in fourth grade, sometimes with my family, sometimes with a church choir, sometimes with a group from the church. But what an incredible privilege it is to be able to go somewhere else outside what is normal for the express purpose of being able to serve people, to be able to help people, and to be able to share the gospel with people as I did. And so if you've never been on a mission trip before, even if you're not sure about the gospel part, the idea that you can help people and you can serve people is a worthy endeavor. And so there are lots of opportunities we have in normal circumstances to go on a mission trip. And there's several of us here who even this summer have been on mission trips. And I would encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity, to please do that. What a great way to expand the view you have on humanity and to experience the grace of God in a way like maybe you wouldn't otherwise. And so I hope you'll go on a mission trip sometime. And when I was about 18, 17 or 18, our, our youth group went on a mission trip to Naperville, Indiana. And Naperville's not that far from Chicago. And, and our whole purpose was we would go there and we, we did backyard Bible clubs, which is kind of like a vacation Bible school out in a park or at someone's home. So we did backyard Bible clubs. And then we, did, uh, we had these moments where we would go to a public area. It was the River Walk. So it's this public area, nice park kind of area that had an amphitheater. And we had a program that we would do. And the program involved some great music and some funny skits and just some silliness. But also it involved the opportunity for us to share the gospel with people, and then after the program was over, we would just go to people who watched the program out in the crowd. They were just there for fun, right? And we would have these gospel conversations with them, where we would just talk to people and find out, hey, tell me about your faith, and then we'd have the opportunity to tell them about ours. And, and it was just interesting to see how the youth group I was with reacted during those moments and responded during those moments. I was so proud of our youth ministry because... When we went on a mission trip, it was like this gospel switch got flipped. Bam, it's on. And we'd come down the turnpike. We, was in, we were in Moore, so we're coming up the turnpike, and we'd stop at the gas station at the end of the turnpike. And it was like, man, we turned on this gospel switch, and this, you know, a million teenagers would jump out of a bus, and they'd go you know, buy a Coke and buy some candy, and then they'd find a rock or a dog or a person, and they'd share the gospel with them. They'd share Jesus with them. And then they'd get back on the bus, and they'd be like, woo! I got, I got a candy bar, and I got to talk to that guy about Jesus. It was awesome. And they were just so excited about it. And we got to Naperville, and we're sharing the gospel on this river walk. And I'm looking. I'm 18, and there's a, a junior high girl uh, who's with us. And I'm looking, and she's in this crowd of guys. I mean, and these guys were not teenagers. These guys were easily in their 20s. 
And they were huge. And by huge, I mean they were ripped. And one of the guys was ripped. I knew he was ripped because he wasn't wearing a shirt. And his only piece of clothing beyond his pants was he had this giant boa constrictor around his neck that he was just kind of carrying around as a pet. And I'm looking, and here's this 14-year-old girl who's about the size of this right here. And, and she's just sitting there talking to him and smiling, and he just looks like this big old mad mean dude. And so I subtly kind of walk over and join the conversation, and it's a nice, friendly conversation. And she's just going, let me tell you about how Jesus changed my life. And I'm like, there's a boa constrictor right there. What are you doing? But just this gospel-sharing machine our student ministry became when we were on mission trip. And it was just a, it was a sight to behold. I will tell you that part of my experience with that student ministry was revival started in the church that I attended, not because of adults, but because of students. Students who fully sold out to the idea that they were going to share the gospel. But I do have to tell you that there was one disappointing thing about that trip. Actually, i got to finish the story about the trip itself. After we got done at the Riverwalk, we go back to the hotel that night. And we're all unloading off the bus, and we, uh, our student pastor and, and music minister get into an elevator, and there's another person in the elevator with them. And uh, Mike Taylor was my student pastor, and the person that's in the elevator is just looking at him, just going, just kind of staring at him. And Mike's not one to let something like that go. He's, hey, man, what's up? How you doing? I'm Mike. What's your name? And... And this man in the elevator just kind of shakes his head. He goes, you know, I watched your whole group get off the buses, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something different about you. Why? What is, what's different about you? And what an incredible moment that was because Mike and Rodney, they got to share the gospel with that man, and that man placed his faith in Christ right there in an elevator at a hotel because Mike was able to say, well, let me tell you what's different. This is a whole group of kids who are, they're on a mission trip, and the mission isn't simply to help people. We're going to help people while we're here, but we want to tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you about him too. And what a beautiful moment that was, that we would live our lives in such a way that people would ask, why? Why do you act like that? Why is this who you are? And so this man got saved as a result of that. The one disappointing thing about the student ministry mission trip, that, that one in particular, is that when we got on the bus, it was like someone switched a gospel light switch. And we started sharing the gospel with anything that would move. And then when we got home, it was like someone flipped the switch in reverse. And suddenly all those kids who were so passionate about sharing the gospel with anything and everyone who would move became silent in their faith. Well, that actually became the next challenge for our student ministry, and God eventually overcame that in those same students. But in that moment, I was disappointed because I was like, wait a minute, we're going we're gonna to talk about it, and we're going to treat people one way on the mission field, but come home and act and talk and treat one another differently while we're right here at home. And I don't know how many of you have participated in a mission trip, but here's my hope. My hope is that we don't do that here, that we keep the light on in terms of the gospel, that we would be those people who everywhere we go 
are carriers of the grace and the love of Jesus. That we would be those people who everywhere we go, grace follows after. Everywhere we go, peace follows after. That we would be the ones in a circumstance that, that bring words of life. I'm reminded of what Jesus said when he was asked, what, what are you doing, Jesus? He says, well, the only things I can do are the things I see my father doing. And the only things I can say are the things I hear my father saying. And that's inspired, that's inspired a prayer for me. The prayer that I've been praying lately is that, God, would you give me the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent. And when it's time to speak, let me only speak from the script that you've written for me. And, and that's, a, that's just a great challenge. But I, I do believe that there's a tendency when we're on a mission trip to be on mission. And when we come home, to be somewhat relaxed in our faith. Or maybe even a little resentful of the idea that the people here aren't like the people there that the believers here aren't functioning like the believers there, or that the gospel that we preach here, well, just seems to be silent in relationship to the gospel we preach there. And so today, as we look at Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well, there's so much to the story. But as we take a look at this, I just want us to see some things that I think are really significant, not simply for our mission there, or, well, Keith Davis always says it like this. We're going to be on mission here, there, and everywhere. I would hate for us to miss the mission here because we're so focused on the mission everywhere. And I absolutely want us to be able to fulfill God's unique calling for us in all three of those, every, uh, all three of those areas, here, there, and everywhere. Does that make sense? So let's look back at that passage of Scripture again. John chapter 4 is where we are. We're going to start in verse 7 is what we're going to take a look at. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Because Jesus is in Samaria right now. So he's already outside of his here in this moment. Because Galilee, Nazareth, Jerusalem, that was Jesus' here. That was his local area. But he's trying to get somewhere. And so he's going through an area that most Jews typically would not go through. He's going through Samaria. And he's about to talk to someone. Most Jews typically in that time wouldn't have talked to a Samaritan person at all. But it certainly would have been outside the norm for a man to speak to a woman that he had no relationship with. And then to do that with a Samaritan woman could have been very problematic. But Jesus chooses to speak with someone who wasn't like him in this moment. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask, me for, a, ask, a, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, that's not just... History, that's Bible. And Bible's not just Bible, sometimes it's history. And so you see that right there. And so here's a question that I want us to ask today. There's actually two questions that lead to an idea. And I'll tell you, these two questions for me were inspired by some experiences I've had with a friend of ours. His name is Walker Moore. And you've been, you've been with Walker Moore. You've heard him preach and teach. And some of you have been on mission trips with him. But this first question, I think, is so important out of this scripture because you see Jesus here talking to someone who no one expected him to have any kind of conversation with at all. So here's the question. First question I want you to struggle with today is the question of, are you a willing witness? As a believer in Christ. Now, if you're not a believer, this, may not, this first question may not apply to you, but if you're a believer in Christ, are you a willing witness? Now, let me highlight what I mean when I say 
a willing witness. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 are some verses that are very familiar to us. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But in essence, Matthew, Matthew 28, 19 says this one thing. Go and make disciples. Now, sometimes as we preach that, we emphasize the go, which means we're going somewhere else, or as we go, we should be carriers of the gospel, and that's absolutely relevant. But I actually think in that verse, the emphasis isn't on the going, even though the going is important. I think in Matthew 28, 19, the emphasis is on the making disciples. So the ultimate question from the beginning of this passage, you see Jesus do this with the Samaritan woman. He's having a conversation with someone who isn't like him. He's having a conversation who with someone normally would confess, I don't really like you. I don't really like Jews, he would, she, would, she might say. People who aren't like you, people who don't like you. He's having a conversation with someone that most Jews would say, I don't really even like them. So as you go, are you a willing witness? Are you talking to people that are like you, people who aren't like you, people who don't like you? And maybe... If we were honest, maybe culture says, or maybe history says, maybe your family history says, maybe your own personal experience says, these are people I just shouldn't like. Are you willing to have even a conversation with them that's not even yet about the gospel, but just a kind, courteous conversation with someone? Are you a willing witness? You see, in Matthew 28, 19, the emphasis, certainly there's a go aspect to it, but the emphasis is on the make make disciples, And so the litmus test of are you a willing witness isn't about your intention to speak. And it's not about your intention to share. Because sometimes I think we miss incredible opportunities because we have great intentions that we don't follow up with godly actions. Or we have great intentions that we don't follow up with godly words. And so we spend our lives filled with great intentions and with the best of intentions, we often miss the best of opportunities. Or with the best of intentions, sometimes we commit the worst of actions. And so are you you a willing witness is really measured by that one idea. Go and make disciples. So right now, you can measure in this moment if you're a willing witness. And you know how you can measure it? Are you making disciples? Are you actively making disciples? Is there someone in your life that you're praying for right now that they would place their faith in Christ? Is there someone in the past week, in the past month, in the past quarter, in the past year, have you actively told someone about your faith and talked to them about theirs? When was the last time Jesus came up in a conversation that you're having with someone that's not a member of this church or some other church? Is there someone who's already a believer who just isn't as far along in their walk with Christ that you're helping them take their next step of faith? Is there someone who is like that in your life? Because the answer to the question of are you a willing witness isn't about our intentions. It starts with a good intention, but it's got to be followed up with a godly action. When was the last time you were actually involved in a discipleship relationship with someone else? When was the last time you actually had a gospel conversation with anyone? See, that's the measure of whether or not 
I'm a willing witness. It's not measured by how many people prayed to faith because you shared the gospel. It's not measured by how many people you brought to church or how many people you caused to come down the aisle. For me, it's certainly not measured by whether or not I get to stand up here and talk about Jesus. That's one measurement. I do have the privilege of being able to talk about him a lot in front of mass groups of people. But the real measure for me isn't this. The real measure for me is what happens in the one-on-one. The real measure for me is what happens in the day-to-day. It's as I need a drink. I think I take great encouragement from the fact that Jesus is tired here. Have you ever gotten tired? So did Jesus. But in his weary moment, he still has a gospel-centered, eternal conversation with someone who desperately needs to hear what God has to say. So that's the first question. Are you a willing witness? And the real measure of that is, are you making a disciple? When was the last time you did that? Now, I think sometimes we overcomplicate the gospel. Sometimes we make it sound like a sales pitch. Sometimes we make it feel like, you know, three points, a poem, a dead friend's story. Now, would you like to buy this eternal life? Just do this. Bow your head. Pray. Do these things. Or I've learned a thousand different outlines for how to share the gospel, and all of those are very useful and very helpful for remembering the significant sections of the gospel and for memorizing scripture. They're a great way for us to teach. But the gospel we should never reduce to a sales pitch ever because I'm not asking you to buy into my political party and I'm not asking you to buy into the way I think I'm not asking you to buy into anything I'm simply presenting you the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what it was he did for me and you I'm simply making an introduction and actually isn't an introduction about the easiest thing we can do hey my name's Chad this is my friend Brandon have you met Jonathan yet there's an introduction right So at its heart, every great relationship begins with an introduction. I remember before uh, Londa and I got married, uh, before we even started dating, there were several people in our lives that were saying to each one of us, hey, have you seen, have you met this girl, Londa? And saying to her, hey, have you met this guy, Chad? And we hadn't met each other yet. My college pastor knew that Londa played the flute, and I was leading worship for our college ministry. And he said, hey, for our college Sunday school worship time, you should find this girl, her name's Londa, you should find her and ask her to play the flute for us sometimes. So I spent a whole semester looking for the phone number of this girl named Londa. I knew nothing about her, and for that semester, I never found her, because it was the last semester of school, and, and then over the summer, I'm looking for her. Well, I didn't know she had gone home for the summer, and then come the, spring, or come the fall, she shows back up, and I finally find her number. Hey, my name's Chad, I lead worship. Um, I hear you play the flute. Would you like to play flute for us sometime? And then our college ministry had a fellowship, and I still hadn't really met her face-to-face. And she said, I do play the flute, but I need someone to accompany me. She's very clever because that's the way we started dating because I said, sure, I can accompany you. I can learn how to play uh, the song that you need me to play. And so I, I learned to play the song, and, and I remember the night that she gave me the music because we had been at a college fellowship, and I walked her to the car because the music was in her car. And, and so... She hands me the music, and, and I just remember this moment because, you know, it was a magical Disney moment because I was just very suave and debonair, right? I was, I was God's gift to whatever, right? And, and I just remember the moment she hands me the music, and I say thanks, and we worked out a time we could practice it. And so being the suave, very debonair man that I am, I reached out to shake her hand. Thanks. <laughs> like the dork that I really am. Hey, thanks. That's good. I remember in that moment when I shook her hand that for whatever reason, she held on a little longer than a normal handshake. And I held on for a little longer than a normal handshake. 
And I don't know how she remembers it, but I remember our eyes met. And it was, in my head, an incredible Disney moment. And now 25 years and four kids later, here we are. And it all started with an introduction. Are you a willing witness? It just starts with an introduction. Hey, I know Jesus. Here's what I know about him. Have you met him? Let me introduce you. That's, that's where it begins. And then the next idea, look at verses 7 through 9. Again, just read this with me. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Not only does every great relationship begin with an introduction, but when it comes to Jesus, Jesus meets you right where you are. Jesus will meet you right where He's not looking at you asking you to clean up your life. He's not saying to you, if you'd just do better, I'd pay more attention to you. He's not coming to you right now and saying, if you just go to church more, I'd like you more. If you just read your Bible more, I might love you. That's not the way Jesus rolls. He meets you right where you are. And His grace and His mercy, His loving kindness, they abound for each and every one of us. And He meets you right where you are. But here's the glory of the grace of God. He doesn't simply meet you right where you are. He doesn't want you to stay stuck in your sin. He doesn't want you to stay stuck where you are. Jesus makes the way for your next step of faith. Look at verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now just notice, Jesus takes a typical, simple request for a drink of water, and he allows her with one sentence, he turns the page from something that's just normal, average, and mundane into a conversation about the eternal. I don't know about you, but when it comes to sharing the gospel, transitioning into an eternal statement like that is where I find the greatest challenge. How do I go from, hey, are you hungry? Um, Jesus is the bread of life. You know, it just feels awkward for me to do that. And it may feel awkward for you to do that. But you know what I've discovered is that the more I pray about it, the more I think about it, the more I practice it, the more, the more I look for it, the easier it is to see the eternal behind the mundane. And the easier it is for me to see the eternal and to experience the eternal behind the average everyday interactions of life, the easier it is for me to make that simple introduction. Are you a willing witness? Jesus meets you where you are, but he's not satisfied to just meet you there. He makes a way for your next step of faith. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than, the, than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Are you a willing witness? Are you actively making disciples? Are you looking for the eternal in your average, everyday, normal conversations simply so you can introduce someone to who Jesus is. It's exactly what Jesus did right here. Here's the next question for the day, and it's simple to see as you keep reading. Are you a willing witness? It's possible. It's possible that you're not a willing witness because you are a seeking soul. Are you a seeking soul? Are you someone who's searching? Are you someone who's looking? 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. Don't turn there, but it says this. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are you a seeking soul? Are you someone who is looking for this grace, mercy, and love of Jesus? Are you someone who has experienced the hurts of life and you've tried everything to overcome those hurts? You've tried everything to overcome the habits that have caused those hurts? You've tried everything and the more you try, the more you get hurt. And the more you try, the more you hurt someone else. Just look at her story. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. <laughs> I really, I'm just looking for a way out of my daily job of coming to get a drink of water. But beyond that, I just don't want to thirst anymore. There's something in me that longs for the eternal, and I don't know what it is or how to get it. Could you show me what that is? Could you tell me more about it? I'd love to have some of that. And Jesus said to her, verse 16, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. If you're a seeking soul, you know how you're going to know it? Because your search has led to your hurt. Your search has led to your hurt. And whatever's working for you today that's not Jesus, I can guarantee it. It's going to fail you tomorrow. I guarantee it. It might be really good. It might be a good church home. It might be an interesting family. It might be a good circle of friends. It might be something pharmaceutical. It might be something... There's a thousand things in our search, right? That we fill our lives with to overcome the hurt. But I got to tell you that your search is the cause of your hurt. It's the cause of your hurt because without Jesus, our search only lands on something sinful every time. And in the Samaritan's woman's life, her search led her to men. She was looking for satisfaction in relationships. She was becoming codependent on someone else, and when she couldn't find the right guy, either she ditched him or he ditched her one way or another. And the guy she's with right now, he wasn't her husband either because her search had led to her hurt. And in that process of the search leading to her hurt, She'd hurt herself, she'd hurt others, and she'd found herself further and further and further from God until she showed up in an average, normal, everyday action of life to just get a drink of water. And there was someone there who was a willing witness who spoke up and said, hey, let me introduce you. Let me introduce myself. I'm the living water, and if you talk to me, if you listen to me, if you follow me, You will never thirst again. And the hurts you experience, I have a way to overcome those. And the life that you're longing for, I have eternal and in abundance. Would you just place your faith in me? So the questions for today, are you a willing witness? On the other side of that, are you a seeking soul? And in the end, in the end, that becomes an interesting spiritual formula that a willing witness plus a seeking soul, it equals this divine encounter. A willing witness plus a seeking soul equals a divine encounter. I can't tell you the number of times on that mission trip to Naperville, we had the opportunity to share the gospel. And you know what was interesting? We had that opportunity 
because that group in that moment was a willing witness. They were praying for it. They were looking for it. They, they looked for opportunities to take a normal conversation and turn it into something eternal. They were willing witnesses. And somehow God in his providence, I don't understand how or why because I'm such a broken vessel. I don't understand how or why because I'm so unqualified with as much studying as I've done and the position that I hold and the, the life that I lead. I am so unqualified to be anyone who would look at anyone else and say, hey, let me tell you about grace and forgiveness and loving kindness because I'm so terrible at offering it. But I know Jesus the one who is the giver of grace. And I know Jesus, who is the one who is the bringer of mercy. I know Jesus, who is loving and loving kindness. I know him, and I can introduce you to him. And so this willing witness, somehow God arranges a seeking soul, and it just becomes this divine encounter where the average, normal Something of life becomes something eternal and new life begins. It leads me to a verse that I love that I believe defines our mission as a church. It's Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28 says this, It's Jesus we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. So that's our two questions for today straight out of this passage of Scripture. And like I said, there's so much more here than just the example of how Jesus met this woman and shared eternity with her. So much more that we're not going to get to dive into today. But the thing we need to struggle with are those two questions. Are you a willing witness? If you're not and you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you need to confess and repent. God, I've missed the mark. I need to be a willing witness. Help me to see the eternal in the average. Help me to find opportunities to introduce you to others and to talk about my faith and to let others talk about their faith. Give me opportunities. Give me. We were on vacation a few weeks ago. I woke up one morning and for whatever reason just prayed, hey God, give me the opportunity to share the gospel today. And standing in line at a store, this guy strikes up a conversation with me. He's talking about the mask that I'm wearing. And out of a conversation about a mask, I got to talk about Jesus. It started with a prayer that God prompted in me. Are you a willing witness? That's our invitation for today. If you're a believer in Christ and you're not a willing witness, you should come to the altar and repent. Maybe stay right there and just repent and say, God, help me today. Give me the privilege of talking about you. Give me the privilege of helping someone else take their next step of faith. I want to be someone who makes disciples. That's the, that's the invitation for today. There's another piece to that invitation, and it's for those of us who are seeking souls. Maybe you've never been introduced to Jesus Christ, but today I've told you much about who he is. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. Last week, we talked about Jesus' half-brother James and how during Jesus' life, he was like any brother who was shaking his head going, Jesus, brother, you got to shut up. You're making our family look like fools. And then Jesus dies and comes back from the dead. He goes to see James, and James is like, okay, big brother, if you can come back from the dead, you must be who you say you are. And he becomes this massive leader in the church at Jerusalem. If my brother dies and comes back from the dead, I'm pretty well going to do whatever he says, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing it was. James's half-brother came to the space where he believed. What do you believe? Are you a seeking soul? Because Jesus is the one who can forgive your sin and save you forever.
today you can place your faith in him. And here's how I'm going to ask us to do this invitation. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I'll pray for us. When I say amen, we'll stand and we'll sing. And for those of you who are believers, this altar's open. Maybe there's someone specific. You need to come and just lay here at the feet of Jesus and say, God, would you save my friend and would you give me an opportunity to share Jesus with them? But right now, if you are, if you are seeking soul and you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, would you just look up at me? If you want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ, just look up at me. Thank you so much. Thank you. So here's the simple thing. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And it all begins with us simply saying to him, placing our faith in Jesus. It, all, it starts with just simply saying to him, I want to trust you, Jesus. I don't know everything. I don't have to know everything, but I do trust you. Forgive me of my sin come into my life and save me forever. There's nothing magical about that prayer. It's just simply a conversation with someone who's real and someone who exists and someone who loves you and wants to forgive you. And so you can, as the music plays, pray a prayer just like that. And then the next thing I'm going to ask you to do, not during this service, but after this service is over, come see me or come see Jonathan and just say, hey, I want to know more about what it means to, to follow Christ. You don't even have to come to me. There are people sitting right here next to you. You might even live with them who would love to be able to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. So would you do that? Would you come to me or to Jonathan or go to someone in your home and say, I want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ? Heavenly Father, give us the courage to be a willing witness. Give us the faith because we are all seeking souls. And so help us today, Father, to trust in you, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for everything that pertains to life and godliness. We give ourselves completely to you today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.